If you have your Bibles, this is a, a, a larger description and story of the, of the lesson that is taught. It actually begins in about verse 13 of 1 Kings chapter 3. And, excuse me, and Solomon is put to the test. And so, within this narrative, I'll read a little bit to you. Now, on your handout, I just gave you two verses, but uh, I'm sorry, it's kind of starting in verse 17. So, in the beginning of this, Uh, narrative, one woman said, verse 17, she was speaking to the king, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. It came to pass on the third day that, that I was delivered, that the woman also delivered. So we both had babies, 72 hours apart. We were together, there was no stranger, it was just us. And now here comes the description. One child died. And there's some other details in here, but just for the sake of our moment, one child died. And in the night, the accusation was that the two mothers with two babies one of the mothers took the living baby and traded it for the deceased child. And so the result of this was that Solomon has to answer for this. And this is where we are in verse 26. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. She was weeping, crying. She said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be mine or thine, but divide it. There's, there's a distinction. The king answered, Give her the living child and in no wise slay it. She is the mother of. So they're having the argument over whose child this is. Who, who, whose baby does, does this... Um, has the ownership. And because there, this is a conflict, Solomon uh, calls for the sharpened sword and says, I will cut the baby in half. You can have a part of the baby and you can have the other part. And when the real mother heard that, she said, Don't do the child harm. Give it to this other woman. But the other woman said, divide it. Um, Let it be neither of ours. And so that's when Solomon identified the real mother. On your handout now, I just wrote a small blurb about character. The character of an individual over time... Um, they are known. Different situations, diverse situations, do offer a revealing of, uh, of the character of an individual. 
now it could be good character or bad character. Character is often revealed because something has taken place to give it revelation. Uh, I'm going to make a statement here that goes against um, our society. Sports does not create character. Sports reveals character. Money does not uh, create character. It reveals who you already are. So the, the, the development of, of good or bad character happen outside of these events or these material things. And so we can pretty well judge that by an individual. I'll make this statement. If you hear something about me, and, I, and this has been said many times by other people, um, and you're questioning that, then measure whatever you heard by the character of the heart you know. Because we'll hear different things about one another, but we have to measure it by the heart that we know. If you hear something about someone else in the church, be careful before you assume it, measure it by the heart that you know of them. And um, the better answer for you is not to hear it at all. I was recalling a situation of, of someone, uh, and someone had said something about, about someone, which is, of course, typical. A seed was planted, and even though it was proven to be a lie, that seed that was planted still created distortion, a question about, about the individual. Because once someone says something, even if it's a complete lie, it does besmirch the character of the individual, even if it's completely false. And then people say, well, you know, that was proven to be true, but you have to wonder. Well, it's better not to hear. Now, the reason why people hear a lot of garbage is because they treat their ears like garbage cans. So if, you're, if your ears are a garbage can, you have a lot of garbage in your brain. And to clear your brain, it means that you have to close your ears. And to close your ears, it means you have to judge who's, who you are around. And the people you're around that talk and do this all the time, well, that means you're hearing a lot of nonsense. In fact, if you talk on the phone longer than an hour with somebody, you're probably talking about somebody else. I can go on like this. I, I feel like I could raffle this off. I, I can go so long, I, I could auction it off like an auctioneer. Sold. I know this. So the individual is a little bit easier to determine because it's just them. It's just them. I, I know spouses that have different character. And it gets a little foggy there, but we know, no, she's, she's got her act together. No, he is the guy who has trouble or vice versa. But when it comes to a church, this is a little bit different because... Uh, we are known by the collective disposition of the entire group, the entire congregation. So while the individual is more readily defined or seen, known, the church is a little bit different. It has a conglomerate of personalities made up into one. And when, when we are beyond the borders of this campus... And we live our lives uh, when we are out in public or we're with people in, 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 our, in our careers or jobs. We often fail to remember 
that the character of the body is at stake. When you become a part of the body, you have to intentionally lose your individuality because you're in Christ. Because you're part of the body of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Paul said, not I, but Christ that lives within me. I'm crucified with Christ. I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, but it's not me that's living, it's Christ. Now, that is a foreign word to the American mind. It was not so in the culture in which that verse was written. Many people in the world have more purity of their religious beliefs. I'll I'll take this for instance. In a a lot of the uh, Mexican and and Central America uh, descriptions of Catholicism, they espouse to, uh, to the design of their church. And so the design or, or the, the instructions of, of, um, of their Pope uh, or, uh, or of Mother Teresa, these things are embedded. In America, uh, they, the, the American Catholic, by and large, does not believe what, what uh, the Vatican or the Pope preaches or teaches. Uh, the Pope is considered the echo of Christ, which means that whatever Jesus Christ said, he's just echoing it. So in, 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 in their mind, whatever the Pope says, that's what Jesus is saying. And so they would follow that. But in America, individualism has destroyed the, consti- the, the, the construct of, of that faith, of that religion. Uh, but you won't find that if you if you go to other other countries, especially uh, Central American countries. Catholicism is much more pure than than the American Catholic, the 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 the, the Mexican um, uh, Catholic, and and the Catholic from El Salvador. Um, uh, they would 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 not a- attend or believe in abortion, but the American Catholic readily believes in abortion. So they've deviated, and they don't even believe in the tenets of their own faith. But but before we get on that bandwagon and say, well, how bad they are, let's talk about us. Let's talk about what we believe, or or our level of individualism, or self identity, or or thoughts about what we have, because. Because we ha- we're also inundated with an impure thought. And the impure thought is, I go to that church. Well, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the verbiage. We should never even say, that's where I, I go to that church. You are part of a body of Jesus Christ. You don't just attend. This is not something you pay to get in and pay to get out. This is, this is a collective body. And so this is not just something you do on Wednesdays and Sundays. This is who we are. So if you can say, this is who I am, then you have to also admit I'm in Christ and I have to lose my individualism. Amen. So I would say to everyone, wherever you began, whether it's new in the Lord or new to new life or, or you're at a new point in your, in your walk with God, Um, if you're a new believer, there is a moment where you have a long on-ramp for newness and we welcome and celebrate newness. But if you've, but if the newness is, is gone on too long, then there's an issue. (laughs) 
It's a, it's a, it, in the modern world, it's called failure to launch. Um, there's a time w- when you, you, you lose the newness. I, I like what Solomon said. He said, better is the end of a thing than the beginning. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a few aspects of the beginning. In the beginning, there's this unknowing. I'm on your handout now. There's the unknowing in the beginning. Um, you just don't know. It's not, it's not stupidity. It's ignorance of information. When you're new, you just don't know. You don't know. Like one little boy had said, his mother told us, he went to kindergarten and they said, you know, you, uh, you're supposed to be standing in a line. And he said, well, how did I know that I've never been here before? Um, he got, his, uh, he got his, his backpack and went outside on the curb at noon. And his teacher had to come and get him back in because he always went to preschool and his mother picked him up at noon. And so she, she said, uh, no, you have to come back. And he said, oh, well, who signed me up for this? That's what he said. Because he, you know, he was ready to go home. Unknowing, you just, you just don't know. You just don't know. And, and there's a lot of things in God I don't know that I'm still learning. There's a newness. But, but I, can't, I can't just rest on that. I've got to pursue him to know. Um, and in the beginning, there is an unknowing. But this is adult class, and we've been, we've been searching the scriptures for some time. So there's a point where you cannot say, well, I just didn't know. Well, there's a responsibility on us to know. The second aspect of the beginning is unsettled. There's an unsettling. This is the development stage. An unsettling is not sure where you're going to go. Um, I had read a few years ago, and it might have changed now, but when a college student first enters um, the university or, or a school as a freshman, they'll change majors about three to five times somewhere, and now they, they were leaning to about five times before they settle on a major. You're just unsettled. You're not really sure. People change jobs and careers throughout their lifetime until they settle, and some people never really settle. But in the beginning, you really don't know where you're at. You, you don't know exactly. It's an unsettling. The clay is not formed. And then the third aspect of the beginning is vision, but you don't have any action. You're excited. You have a vision. You're declaring things, but you haven't had time to perform anything. And so it is good to say, this is what I'm going to do, but you need time to perform what you have declared. So vision without action is very much an aspect of the beginning. And this is, uh, this is what happens in, in the early church development when someone starts a church somewhere. There's a lot of vision, but we haven't, we haven't done anything yet. And, and that long on-ramp of newness or beginning, it, it, it is a good thing. Um, but, uh, but there comes a time when you've got to get out of that stage and you've got to grow up. <laughs> and, and I'm borrowing Paul's words about growing up. Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child. So he, he, he talked like one. He had the understanding as one. And, and he had his whole thought process, process was one. But when I became a man, I just put away all those things. And I would say to you that, that there's, there's a continual problem in, in, um, in, in the individual 
who stays at the beginning and will constantly say, well, I just don't understand. Well, I just don't understand. Well, there's a, there's a moment where you have to learn and you have to do self-evaluation because you can't stay at the beginning. And, and a person who is persistently at the beginning, um, they, they do tend to distort the body. Uh, because it becomes this weak member that, that by and large determines to be weak or has bad character because they decided to have bad character or, or they just don't want to believe or just don't want to obey. And so that member, that hand, that finger, that eye, it's not growing, it's not functioning like it ought to have functioned. So persistent beginning, and I'm saying this as a, as a refusal, this, this refusal uh, it has a couple of aspects to it. it. It comes from, and I'm not going to exhaust them. I'll just give you four. But that is a sure sign of first rebellion. Uh, rebellion is to, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm just not going to go. Uh, I'm just not going to, to, to grow up. Um, this, is a permeate, this is permeating our, our, our American uh, culture. I won't grow up. Uh, I, I don't want to... Uh, get a job. I, 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 yeah, I, don't, I really don't want to make that commitment. I don't want to make, uh, make, make a deal or a covenant or write anything down. And, and that, I just like to, I would just want to explore. Or, and that ex- exploration is stunting growth. So there is a rebellion. If you go to the root of, of things, you'll find a lot of rebellion. Um, uh, shyness is not always shyness. Sometimes it's just pure pride. Sometimes it's just pure rebellion. And then the second thing is immaturity. Um, the persistent beginning is, a, is an effort of immaturity. Uh, I would just say there are times when, when if, if people say, well, I, the reason why I say that, just, that's just how I was brought up. Well, you were brought up wrong. Don't say dumb things like that. Don't be offensive. It's okay. You're smart enough. You're not a rabid dog. You can change your life. How are we doing already? Already, if, if, how, how many people have I offended? Okay, just how many people have I not offended? Okay, well, I'm working on all of you. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Because there are times when we just have to grow up. This is the body of Jesus Christ. This is the body. Just, you need to say this. If you have a child, you should put your hand on your own body and say, it's no longer about me. I've had these conversations with young parents, and I've said, listen, how you doing? Well, you know, we just don't get to go anywhere. Well, the reason why is because it's, it's no longer about you. You have brought a baby into this world. Now, why did you get the second baby? They said, well, we were having marital trouble, so we thought we'd have another one. Oh, so you're in, you're in the ocean, and you're struggling to, to carry this 100 pounds, but you decide to put another 100 pounds. Okay, well, now it's really not about you. Forget who you were. Now you are a mom and a dad. You're parents. It is time to grow up. When I was a child, I talked like that. But when I got older, I realized you don't talk like that. You don't live like that. You don't do those things. You don't function that way. Immaturity, there's a, there's a time for immaturity. And let's, let's, let's give the children a long time. Now you understand there's, there's insight into immaturity because sometimes we expect things of people that they're not ready to perform. So we have to give a lot of grace. Now you'll notice this, that if you have, if you're from a small family like, like me and we're not tall in stature and your kids are six years old and they're still, they're still about this tall 
Everybody gives them a lot of grace. But if you're from a large family and everyone's really big and the nine-year-old is this big, you think that he should be much more mature than he is because you have, you have superimposed maturity on height. And he's still seven, but he's six feet tall. Well, he's just a little boy. He don't know what he's doing. He don't know how to control his arms. His brain, his brain is not developed. But you want him, well, you should be growing up. Well, he's, he's nine. If he was nine and this tall, you would say, look at the little baby. He's so baby. Look, look, look at that man. That's a man. He's already got a beard. Well, he, he don't know. So our judgment of maturity is way off. It's way off. But there does come a time when you've heard the word and heard the word and you know you can't, you, you, you can't say, well, you know, I just, I, I just don't want to grow up. It's time to grow up because you got to get out of the beginning stage. Amen. How you doing? Everybody okay? I'm okay. I'll tell you when I'm not okay, but right now I'm okay. I'll just look, I'll look down, I'll look down. Here we go. Okay, number three is a lack of follow-through. One of the aspects of, of, of refusal to, to get out of the beginning is that no one follows through. You have to follow through. You have to finish what you start. It's time to finish. You can't leave things hanging out there. You got to finish. You got to finish your Bible reading. Start your Bible reading. Finish your commitment. Make another one. This is a critical thing because, because there are revealing aspects when we are not completing what we have begun. This is a commitment problem. And so we've got to get into commitment. Now, I know what the Pentecostals want. I've got it. I am a Pentecostal. I've grown up in this. I've got the fire. We've got the, we've got, but I also know that we've got to have something that drives us past the sincere milk of the word. The sincere milk is wonderful. We need it. But there comes a time when you will die if you only have the milk. You got to get past the milk and you got to get into the meat. Amen. And number four is double-mindedness. A double-minded man, the Bible says, is unstable in all his ways. Double-mindedness. Yet, <laughs> Yeah. This is a... This is a... This is not a mental disorder. There are mental disorders. This is not a mental, this is a spirit disorder. Uh, because you have not made the commitment and stayed with the commitment. And you, and that is part of, that is, that is part of the, the young uh, beginning stage. Well, what do you want? Well, I, I want, I, we've, we've done this a thousand times. I was somewhere in, in, and a little boy was saying, to his mother what he wanted. And then when they brought it, he said, no, I don't want that. And so the mother said, well, can he have, I think it was ice cream or something. Like it. it was, can he have the vanilla? And she said, well, sure. And, you know, when he got the vanilla, he, did, I don't, he didn't want that. Uh, he just changed his mind rapidly. He, was just, he wanted to change his mind. Um, we, we understand that. that. That's happened many, many, many times. I thought you wanted this. No, I don't want this. You know, I don't like spinach. Well, you said you wanted it. Yes, but I hate that. So this double-mindedness has caused a lot of problems. See, these four aspects, if, if they permeate in the church, 
they create a church without good character. Now, no one taught me this. I've learned this over the years. And what I'm teaching you tonight has come from a lot of observation, personal hands-on experience, and, and many, many views from many aspects of life. I will point this out that the human body does need consistent routine. You do need sleep, ladies and gentlemen. You do need sleep. When you go to sleep, your brain cells unpack. They get big and then they unpack and they get small. And they unpack and they categorize all the information of the day. You have to go to sleep. If you have sleep deprivation, you can also have hallucinations. I know a woman who had sleep deprivation. She thought she had a lot of dreams and a lot of visions from God. They were not. They were not dreams or visions from God. It was that she had sleep deprivation, and so she'd have wild hallucinations. And so she made it spiritual. Everybody at first thought this was wonderful, but we come to find out that it was not wonderful. It was not of God. It was just that she needed to sleep eight hours. I'm sorry to tell you this. Because we want to believe in visions and dreams, and I do too, and God will give that to you. But if you're suffering from sleep deprivation, you probably went a little loony. And it wasn't Jesus giving you an insight. It was that your body is not responding correctly. Your body needs sleep. Routine. You have to have a routine. Routine for children helps them. If they're eating at different times of the day, it hurts their digestive system. If they don't sleep... Here or there, they don't have a routine. It hurts the way that they they communicate and that they understand. Routine is part of the body. God made you that way. See, a child is is in great disorder when they don't have boundaries and disciplines. And disciplines here, people people misunderstand disciplines. Disciplines don't mean spankings. Disciplines means time frames or routines that are exercised all, all of the time or every day. Um, the church body is also chaotic. It's also out of order if there's not predictable functions of Bible studies and discipleship. Now, we didn't start this. This was started a long time ago, but I'll just give you this one instance, and this is for the benefit of all the tongue-talking Pentecostals. After Acts chapter 2 occurred, which was an outpouring, and 3,000 people were added to the church, baptized in one day, the next chapter opens up like this, that Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, was their routine. Even after the Holy Ghost came, they still went back to the temple at the hour of prayer. So just because the Lord has given you something wonderful, you've been born again of the water and spirit, you still need your routine. Don't give up your routine because you've had a dream or a vision or, 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 a, or a spiritual supernatural gift. Thank God. If you've got all that, get back to the routine. If you prophesy on Saturday, be at the hour of prayer on Sunday. Amen. If I go somewhere and I'm, and I'm preaching a conference and it's great and everyone get the Holy Ghost, guess what? I'm coming back home and Wednesday is Bible study and nobody cares what happened last Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And this didn't even begin there. Look in, your, look in your handout. Feast and festivals. And Shabbat. Pesach. Shavuot. Sukkot. Every year. 
year after year after year. Passover, Pentecost, festival of the booth. Every year. Every year. Passover, 50 days later, Pentecost. In the fall, September, October, there, that's the feast. There's another feast. It's the trumpets. We're going to have seven days of this. We're going to commemorate this. We're going to live in a little tent every year. What is today? They had a routine, and the routine helped them. And Shabbat, that was Passover. Sabbath, Sabbath. Here's what they said. We kept the Sabbath, but the Sabbath kept us. We thought we were just keeping the Sabbath. In reality, the Sabbath was keeping us. The routine of your life even if you come to church and you don't get that much out of it, praise God if you got a little bit out of it. If I get up and bunt instead of hit a home run, thank God we got on base. It doesn't have to be great, but if it's the word of God, it's good. It's what we needed. It's the routine. It's the routine. You don't mess up the routine. It's a discipline of your life. It's a discipline of our life. And, 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 and the body, just as your body needs to have a routine, even in diet, oh man, I'm going to get on something now. Even in diet, you need to have the food that your body accepts. Now, I've been around the world to eat different foods and not my stomach did not always agree with everything that I ate. Now, I remember... Uh, even here in the United States, Brother Lehman, uh, Austin's father, pastored about 200 gypsies at one point. And uh, we, had, um, uh, we had a cookout. And we had the cookout that day. Um, and then that was wonderful. But late, late in the night, they said, we're having dinner. And at midnight, we went over to their house and they had the big dinner. Everybody came at midnight. And they had rice. And they served the rice. I want to tell you. That lit me up like a fire in my belly. It was so hot. And I thought, I can, I can eat this, no problem, no problem. I ate the rice, and I don't know what, the, what kind of chicken they made. It was, it was so hot. It was, it was like a volcano. And it, my throat and my chest was burning, and I was smiling, and my cheeks were red, and my, my forehead was sweating. And they, there's things that, that if you go to another country and you eat that diet... It will mess you up. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. You should not eat everything except what, it, what you are used to. But what happened today is we have the internet, and so we can watch every sermon of every pastor, every lesson, every person, and now people in churches are watching a diet of men that are feeding them food from the Bible or from their own ideas, and it's not congruent with the place where they're being fed on a regular basis. It's a dangerous thing for you to watch everybody preaching every sermon because they could be preaching something that's a little bit off and you won't catch it. Or they might have the wrong spirit or they could be giving you something that's detrimental for yourself and for this body. And then you watch it, you bring it back and say, hey, we got to go watch this guy. It's an awesome thing. Not knowing that that is a destruction for the whole body. What happened out of COVID was everybody got to sit home, be in their pajamas, drink hot cocoa, and watch whatever they wanted to watch. And they're watching a lot of different sermons and a lot of different preachers. And they can just move from place to place, you know. This is a dangerous thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's not what that preacher said, Pastor. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, he's dumb. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. That's not, that's not true. He might be a wonderful preacher. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, forgive me, Lord. The Lord forgives me. The body won't. Okay, so we'll, we'll just look. You just got to understand that there has to be a regular function of the church. Now, um, there is a difference between the church and a religious group. And I'm, I want to be careful about this because I don't want to demean other churches. I mean, we're not the only church. And in no way do I present this as thinking that we are the only church. No way. No way. We're, we are part of the body of Jesus Christ. We are a very small part. We are a fraction of the body of Jesus Christ. It's huge. It's, the body of Jesus Christ is way beyond denominations. It's way beyond organizations. I mean, we're finding out that there are thousands and thousands of people that have been born into the body of Christ in different countries that they never even... They don't even know who we are, have no idea who we are. We've, we've seen this, and, and it's incredible to find this out. But, but there is a difference between the church that Jesus came to build and, and a religious group, because there's a lot of different religions and religious groups. So how do I know the difference? Well, let's start with the basics. The Bible is the foundation of the church. Now, if it's not in the Bible, we need to be very careful with what we hear. But if it's in the Bible, then we need to be very careful to attend unto it. You don't just whitewash it and say, well, I don't really like that part. Hold on a second. This is the whole scripture. Number, number two, the spirit, um, the spirit is the, is, the, is the lead or the spirit is the guide. The Spirit is leading, it's guiding the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not, it, it cannot be a man-made structure. Now, now my personality, uh, I, I got this innocently. I, my mother did this to me. And I'm, I'm sorry, I, I mean, I, I would be more bland, but my mother did it to me. And, and this is just, if you, if you have a problem with my personality, Sister Rosie will be here, uh, and you can talk to her about it. And, 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 and back in those days, we, we didn't have a television, but we did have a record player. And she'd get, she'd get the records, and, and she'd put on uh, Disney records. And, and she would bounce me around the room and pick me up and bounce me around the room. And we would sing Tigger songs. Tigger. Bouncy, 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 bouncy. Fun, 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 fun. But the most wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only one. And we'd bounce and she would do, and we would play games. And, and so she put all that fire in me when the, she would yell. And my grandfather would come over and scream, what's better than pasta? Nobody knew what was better than pasta. And he would say, more pasta. And just, we would just have all the yelling and the screaming and the food flying everywhere and, and running around. And, and this is the big, this is what, the, here's, here's how I was developed. So if you have an issue with this, um, I'll give you her cell phone number. I want you to call her and just say. <laughs> the problem with that is charisma can often get in the way of the spirit. <clears throat> and people get enamored with charisma. Let me just <clears throat> bring myself down to size. I don't lead this church. The spirit leads the church. And it doesn't matter who's in the pulpit if they're led by the Spirit. We're being led the right way. Amen. 
So it's critical that we, that we implore the Spirit of the Lord to lead the body, the church. And number three, the church functions as the body of Jesus Christ. Now that's a loaded statement that might look kind of, kind of benign, but it's a powerful statement because it has to function. The real church functions as the body of Jesus Christ. It's, it's exactly what he would do. It's how he would do it. It's, it's what he did. It's what he wants to be done. And that takes a lot of selflessness. You ought to write on the, on the corner of that selflessness because you can't function as the body of Jesus Christ and be full of self. Self is the antithesis of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just, it, 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 you can't be hid, you can't be blocked if there's self. All right, how are we doing? Amen, all right. Um, so this is, there's, of course, there's multiple scriptures that I, that I want to give to you, but I will say that this is how the Lord set it up. He gave some apostles. God gave some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So those offices are built to edify the body of Christ. It's an edification. It's not lordship. Um, it's temporary management. It's leadership, not lordship. It's, um, it, 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 it is to build up. Uh, there's, there's other functions of that. There's some instruction. I, I want to repeat this again. Uh, we we want to operate by instruction, and instruction, instruction does not work, then, then the Bible says about correction, to correct. So if instruction doesn't work, then there's correction. Correction is very infrequent. It's rare. If correction doesn't work, then rebuke. And most people won't stick around for rebuke. If they do, if they happen to be rebuked, then they won't stick around after rebuke. But the Bible does give this um, directive to the pastors, to the leaders, to the fivefold ministry, to instruct, to correct, to rebuke with all long suffering, the Bible says. So, so these are not easy things to do. But this is not the American way. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. They, they want someone to make them feel good, and, and, uh, but not someone that would give them instruction. But part of, the, part of having a regular diet is having instruction and making changes in our lives. So let's talk a little bit about a religious group. We're going to get back to Solomon. I've got to rush back to Solomon. But I, this is part of the buildup to where Solomon was. So the religious group, it's very different from the church. The religious group, there are many, many places of religious groups uh, take place. Um, some of those aspects of the relig- religious groups are that commentaries are coupled with selected scripture. Commentaries. So they'll quote from some person, maybe some renowned person, maybe some spiritual person or some individual, some celebrity, um, a a thinker, um, um, someone who has intellectualism or a philosophy. Uh, But that is routinely offered. Well, they're going to quote someone else instead of the Bible. So commentaries are the lead in that. Instead of pure scripture, it's commentaries. And I find this to be true in a lot of our Pentecostal churches where commentaries are, 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 are um, uh, people are, 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 graf- are drafting towards the commentary instead of the pure scripture. And we got to get back to the pure scripture. Number two is current culture um, or secularism, a uh, current culture. That 
tends to influences the lead or or um, uh, that that tends to 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 get out in front of of the church so whatever the current culture is that's then the church takes on the image or the tenor of the current culture and current culture can shift and we already seen a violent shift I think through COVID, it feels like we leapfrogged about 20 or 30 years in the future. Uh, things that we never would have thought of in 2019 now are suddenly a common reality. We never would have thought of some of these things, but there's a violent shift in the culture. So a religious group always wants to make sure they're culturally relevant. Amen. God bless you. And, and, and yet... And yet the problem with that is the church is rarely culturally relevant. We're rarely, in fact, as the culture moves away from purity, it means that we're less hidden and we're more exposed. <laughs> and so if we're always trying to be relevant with the world, well, we're, we're way behind. We'll always be behind. And in fact, not just trying to or intentionally be behind, but if you're congruent with the scripture, you're always behind the times. Because the times, even if they were moving slowly like they used to, you're, you're always outdated. You're always going to be outdated. Well, that's what they used to do back in 2015. Really? Yeah. And when my kids say, Dad, you're, you're so 2010, I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? You know, they, they, they'll use words like the olden days. Um, what were the olden days to you? Well, you know, Dad, the 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I talked, to a, I talked to an individual today, and we were talking about phones. And um, I don't know where he grew up, but we were reminiscing about phones. And um, we were talking about phones that were attached to a wall. <laughs> and I remember the day my dad bought a long, long cord so mom could cook and talk on the same, at the same time. And she'd walk way over there and the cord would be way there. And we loved that cord. While mom was talking to the phone, we'd play jump rope with the cord. <laughs> and I don't know why. I mean, it was just the late 70s, I guess. We had party lines and Scott would pick up the phone and say, Jeffrey, come here and look. Lady down the road, wherever she was, she said, I know it's a you Harpo boys. You better get off the phone. I know who your mom is. I'm going to call her when you get off the phone. Yeah. Times, if you're racing to connect with the times, you're probably far from the scripture. Because the scripture is in full opposition of the American culture. Marriage, sexuality, money, servanthood. Godliness, purity. What does the Bible say? Put no evil thing before your eyes. Uh-oh. We're in big trouble. Big trouble. Oh. If I said from this pulpit some of the words that echo in your living rooms, you would find another church to go to. You would say, that man's unfit for the ministry. The same things that you allow in your living rooms, on your televisions, you would, you would denounce happening to the church. Because what we've done as 
this, okay, we're talking about religious groups. What we've done is we've allowed God here, but he ain't there. We're going to allow proper words here, but we'll say anything there. We'll take our homes and open it up to all the junk of the world, but the church now, that's a holy place. We forgot we are the holy place. You are the church. Wherever you go, you are the church. This is a tool and a building. The new place, that's a tool and a building. So that we can have a routine and people can come to worship and hear the word and be discipled. Amen. All right. Praise God. Amen. Just, just a few random thoughts from the pastor. Number three is that the group, this religious group, functions. Now, this is interesting here. For the betterment of the community. Well, what's wrong with that, pastor? Well, that's a, that's a byproduct. But it's not, it's not, our, it's not, our, it's not our goal. <laughs> it's to spread the gospel. Now, we'll feed the poor, and we'll give things away, and we'll do things for people. But our main purpose is not to be a food pantry. Though we have the second biggest food pantry in, in Vigo County and all the counties. It's amazing what we're doing. It's incredible what everybody's doing. It's, I'm, I'm, I walked in two days ago to see all kinds of refrigeration and the turkeys are there and I just can't believe it. it just, it's amazing. I left there in tears rolling down my face. I just thought, thank God we're helping people. But as I'm driving, I know they could be fed and still be lost. And they can be healed and still go to hell. And they can have a betterment of this temporal life, but miss eternity. The goal of the church is to lead people to Jesus Christ. Because one day, there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more hunger, there'll be no sorrow. And we want to get them to the place where there's no problem, and you don't need any help. Amen. But the, the religious group functions for the betterment of the community... And for the betterment of, of the individual, for the large, and for you, and then also, or for me, and then also, it functions for itself to keep itself alive. Whatever helps us. So that means that the end, uh, the, that the means, uh, the end justifies the means. As long as, we're, as long as we're there. Well, hold on a second. This is a God work. It's what the Lord wants. If the Lord will, we ought to, sometimes we ought to say, if the Lord will, I don't know about tomorrow, but if the Lord will, we'll do our best as long as the Lord allows. We'll have church as long as the Lord allows. We'll worship as long, we'll give, we'll serve. We'll do everything we can as long as the Lord allows because it's, it's about him. The church of Jesus Christ exists as a body joined together it's a body joined you're not individual stop stop thinking you don't matter everybody matters you're critical you're critical to the body you have to be joined together you are the body look look at this it's a family you are a family you have one father and one mother the mother is the church and your father is the heavenly father this is a family this is your brothers and your sisters this is our family This is our family. We want people to join this family. It's an entity built for the work of the kingdom. Not for observation. Not for enjoyment. It's for work. We're here to work, ladies and gentlemen. 
Not, not to just soak up whatever is given, but to do something with what we know. We are working for the kingdom. Not for personal kingdom, for his kingdom. Everybody said amen. We got work to do. This is, this is an hour in which work has to be accomplished. Amen. Because we can have a vision, but immaturity stays outside of work. Immaturity likes the proclamation, but doesn't get dirty. Doesn't get their hands. Immaturity says, boy, someday we're going to have a vineyard. Someday we're going to have a garden. But maturity says, we got to dig. We got to pull up rocks. We got to pull up weeds. And we got to plant seed. And we got to water that seed. And we got to nurture that plant. And we got to bring it up. And we got to protect it. And we got to protect it from all the animals. And we got to make sure that there's a fence around it. And, and then we have to, we have to make sure that, that, it, that it's standing upright and that, and that we, that we prune it that's work for the kingdom amen and then also it's a reflection of the nature of jesus christ man the nature if you can get the nature of god the nature of god you have to know the nature of god eschew evil remove yourself from evil but have a tender heart stand it for what's right but don't be hateful Right in the middle of all the declarations that God gave. He's given all this declaration of what to do, what not to do. And there's a little blurb in there. He says, don't boil the kid in its mother's milk. And then just moves on past for some other things. It just, it's, almost out of, it's almost out of order. Just, it doesn't even really belong. Why? He's too tender for that. He said, I'm too tender for that. Yes, the meat of the young goat might taste better. but And you can use the milk to boil whatever meat. It might make it good. But don't use his own mother's milk to make that meat taste good. I'm too tender for that. Got to know the nature of God. He's tender. Some things are just not appropriate. You have to know the nature of the Lord. The nature of the Lord is to lift up. But he also, he also will correct and instruct. But you have to understand the nature of the Lord. He's a long-suffering God. Who knows he's long-suffering? I can, te- I can give you a testament right now. The Lord's been long-suffering with me. He, he didn't have to suffer this long with me, but he's been long in forbearance. Amen. Here's the body of Jesus Christ. This is a... It's a troubling matter that came to Solomon. These two women are unsavory women. The Bible actually says they were harlots. And probably a normal circumstance, they would have never found an audience with the king. The kingdom, of course, at that moment was far too large for individual conflicts to be handled by the leading authority of the land. But this particular situation was one of intrigue, and certainly the Lord thought it prudent and Solomon to hear it and to write it. Who could judge one mother from another? Who could tell? Both were of the same lifestyle. Both lived without any supervision or person. Both were unmarried. They shared a home. And for nine months, they also shared pregnancies. The babies were born just three days apart, so says the Bible. Just the two of them lived in one house. And in the night, one mother rolled over accidentally, I submit, and... Her baby died. But she knew what she had done. So in the night, knowing the the horrible thing that had happened, she traded babies. She took her dead child and put it on, 
on the lap of the, of the other mother and took the living child. Two babies, one has died, the other is alive. Two mothers both laying claim to the remaining child. Now, how do you tell? Well, there's no DNA, and time, of course, is not going to permit to see the likeness of the real mother. No one is present to verify the truth. So from the outside, there's only one attribute that would determine who the real mother is. And Solomon has just been gifted with wisdom from God, if you read that whole chapter in context. Now, churches have changed over the time. Churches have become religious groups. Churches have lost passion and purpose and scripture. They've split. They've formed. They've dissolved. They've reemerged. They have introduced non-biblical doctrines. Some took on moral standards and some relinquished them. Some believed in the cult, current cultures and issues of their day and they followed all of that. Some became very political. Preachers and teachers have withstood the test of time. Some of those congregations became instrumental in helping their cities and, and their surrounding areas. Some of the churches helped to heal wounds of their own communities. The local church once occupied the center square, the center of the town. It was replaced, of course. But in those moments, back in those days, relationships were developed. Marital roles were example. Children learned from multiple group of people. In fact, most kids learned not just from their parents, but from other elders and people inside the church. Some of those congregations actually spurred on economic stability in their towns. They established sound businesses and principles that were godly principles. They engineered quality products because they cared. They had work ethic and functional families. But then there are others and other congregations which came. They operated like social clubs, closed entities. Some of them were preacher and pastor killers. I've met a couple of people that are pastor killers. I've known a couple churches that have killed and ran off their pastors. Some of those churches hired and fired men and women. They demeaned the men and women. And then they demanded limited teaching or they were critical of authority. Some congregations made it a point not to grow. They did not want their church to grow because growth meant losing individual power and influence. Some coddled immorality, thus lowering the level of requirements for involvement. They said, it doesn't really matter. We're all sinners, so who cares what, what position they have. Some gave and gave generously. Some withheld based upon their feeling of leadership. The real church or a religious group are very, very different because the real church builds after the pattern of God's design. They build. (laughs) They build. In a spiritually, emotionally, and financially healthy church, the people resemble the revelation that Solomon gave when he discovered who the real mother was. He said, bring me the sharpened sword. I'll cut this baby in half. And in great distress, weeping from the groaning, her bowels groan, weeping, heaving. She begged, don't do the child any harm. Because she would rather that baby live and her not have any possession or identity or influence or kisses, or hugs, than for that baby to die. While the other one said, well, I just want fairness. It's got to be fair. Let, let nobody have it. It's better that no one has it. 
And then that moment, Solomon recognized who the mother is because the mother has a couple attributes that nobody else has. The religious group doesn't have them. The real church does. And in the real church, and this is on your handout, people in the real church would rather lose personally than hurt the body. In fact, Paul rebuked the church and said, listen, what are you having all this trouble? You mean you cannot arbitrate between two business problems? Instead, you go to the law, you go to the court, you're suing one another? Read in your Bible. Because the early church had a lot of issues. They would get in business deals and then they would get mad at one another or something unsavory would be done and then they sued. And so they went to a magistrate who did not know the Lord and was not in the church. But a real mother says... Why not rather be cheated? Why not rather be wronged? Read it in your Bible. Because a real mother, she will lose everything. But she won't hurt the baby. She'll hurt herself, but she won't hurt the baby. A real mama. Here's your second one. The real mama will give rather than gain. The fake mama The religious group, they're all about gaining. What can I get out of it? But the real mama says, here, just just take here. And not just the baby. Here's the clothes. Here's my clothes. Here's the Mickey. Here's the bed stuff. Here's all the bottles. Here's the crib. Because the real mama is thinking about the body. And she knows, I'm going to be hurt and lonely. But I'll keep giving if it helps the body. I'll give without recognition as long as it helps the body. I'll give if no one ever says thank you. I'll serve if nobody ever pats me on the back if it helps the body. But the religious group says I'll serve. But you know what? From time to time, I'd like somebody to recognize what I've done. From time to time, I'd like someone to shake my hand and say, well, we're glad you're here. But the real mama says, oh no, you got to understand, we got to keep the body healthy and intact. We cannot divide the body. And everything I say out of my mouth is either helping that stay intact or it's dividing the body. The real mama will serve rather than be served because the real mama does not come to serve. She knows that the baby needs her. Now, she loves the baby. She wants the baby. She desires the baby. She had the baby. She, she, it, makes, it gives her such self-worth and, and such hope and, and such love and some compassion. But she knows that she would rather serve than be served. But the, but the religious group, the fake mama, the one that's not really concerned about the baby, I'll tell you what they do. They come in and they wonder, what's going on? What's happening here that I can get a hold of? And where do I fit? And where am I going to sit? And, 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 and who likes me? And what group can I be involved in? And I'll tell you what, I'd like to have something a little bit better than what I have right now. And they look around for a place that, that conforms to their personal ideology. That's right. That's right. They're not wanting a church. They don't want a church. See, the real mama, she stays when it gets rough. And she hangs out when it gets meager. And she commits. She commits. That's right. Yeah. And she groans. She weeps and groans. Even knowing, just don't do any harm. Because that's my baby. 
and I love that baby. But the, but the fake mama, the religious person, it's a very platonic relationship. Take it or leave it. We're better off without you. No, no, no. And finally, she will struggle and she will suffer. And the people will struggle and they'll suffer for the sake of the kingdom rather than be comforted at the cost of it. Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm barely 50 something. Give or take a couple of days. A little over 50. And I've watched this my entire life growing up in my, my father's home and being in every pastor's home and 23 years in this home. And I've watched this that some, and not all, thank God, they would rather be comfortable even at the cost of the operation of the body or of the church. It's their desire to be comfortable. And if they get the least uncomfortable or don't like a decision that's being made or doesn't like the personality or doesn't like one of my dumb jokes, and I've got a lot of bad jokes. If you've been around here a long time, I forget that I've already told that joke 50 times. It's, just, it's going to get worse. I'm just going to tell you, it's going to get a lot worse. <laughs> they, they would rather be comfortable at the cost of the body, the unity, than to be uncomfortable or struggle or suffer knowing that just going through it and being faithful is still going to help the body. You'll say, well, how does that help the body? Because you're part of the body. You don't cut off the finger and the thumb and the toes and you you don't pluck out the eye because it's suffering. You don't damage it. But you, you, you nurture and you keep going. And sometimes you just have to work through it. You might have a relationship in the church that's not going very well. And you don't like them very much. But you stay with it and you exhibit love even though your personalities are oil, oil and water. And it's uncomfortable. It's okay. Be uncomfortable but stay together. Be a little disjointed from now and then but be together. You are an, and you are an exclusive. We, we are, we are not exclusive, but we are often inclusive. That means that not everybody likes to go hunting and fishing. Not everybody wants to go golfing. Not, not everybody wants to crochet or have scrapbooks. No, not everybody wants that. But, but get with your group and go hunting. Shoot a deer if you want. I don't care. Go, go here. But you are, you are not exclusive. You are still a body. You are still the body of Jesus Christ. And if you have to struggle with a little, and I'm not trying to demean it. Let me just say this. If you have to struggle with loneliness or disappointment, don't leave the body. Because you will. You'll be in the middle of a big church service and you'll feel like you're all alone. You'll be in the middle of a bunch of stuff and you're doing stuff but nobody recognizes you. You'll be and say, I've offered my services. I offer, but nobody called me back. You just keep calling and keep knocking and showing up. You just got to keep on doing it. Even if you suffer, you suffer a long with the job and the body and, and this is what you do in the church. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the body of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a body. And, and, and you know, sometimes I don't even thank my, my little pinky toe. I don't even recognize my pinky toe until I jam that on the corner of the nightstand. 
And then my pinky toe says, hello. <laughs> Remember me, I'm down here. And then my heart has a transplant. I, my heart left my chest and went down to my pinky toe. I said, my heart. I didn't know my heart was that small, but it gets down there. You go ahead and jam. Then you'll figure out, we'll do some, something's going on down there in your foot. You ever jam your foot? You ever? I dropped a block of ice on my foot one time, and all my toes raised up and said, hello. That's right. No, I didn't say, well, listen, man, that, that thing's causing me problem. Cut that thing off. No, you don't do that. You nurture it. You help it. You, create, you, you make a loving environment. You put your foot up on a pillow. Right? That's what you do. We, part of us is hurting. Everybody stop. 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 The foot is in trouble. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna exercise a little patience because the foot got in trouble. You're a, it's sadistic to think that, well, if I have a trouble, I'll just cut that thing off. What are you talking? A man told me about that, that he had an infection in one of his fingers. And I just feel like cutting it off. I said, what are you talking about? Fix the infection. What's wrong with your brain? Well, it just always causes me problems. Well, stop messing with it. Give it a rest. Because the body has to be together and the body needs to heal one another and love one another and help one another and lift up one another and exalt one another even even paul said even the members of the body the uncomely parts they are critical to the body you don't want to lose any part of the body i don't want to lose any part of the family this is the baby save the baby I'm almost done. Years ago, I, I, I don't even remember what the, what the content was. I only remember one line of the sermon I preached. It was so long ago. In fact, it was so long ago, I'm sure it made no sense. But here was my title. Save the, kill the dog, save the baby. Kill, kill the dog, save the baby. And, I, and I, I took it from an instance where a person had this terrible dog. And the dog attacked everybody. And the kids had babies. And I'm, you know. And the, and the dog did some horrible things and, you know, and, and pet control, all the people, and, and, and nobody wanted to touch the dog. Well, God loved the dog. You know, don't, don't sacrifice the baby for the sake of the dog. Now, kill the dog. You save the baby. I mean, I, I'm, and I know PETA and all the other dog lovers and people are they're angry with me right now. But, but if it comes between my baby and the dog, the, the dog is going to be a rotisserie. We're gonna have we're gonna have we're gonna have dog steaks tonight. But I ain't giving up my baby for the dog. I, I don't care how much you love the dog. I don't care if the dog is what you really love. You invest in the dog. You don't ever sacrifice the baby for the dog. You don't ever sacrifice your desires and your thoughts for the body of Jesus Christ. Don't ever do that. You don't ever do that. It's always about the church. It's always about the body. You don't ever get into a deal where it makes the church look bad because it's not just you on the line, but it's the whole body. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that's on the line. It's the baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and they're not going to believe the baptism, which is in the Bible, if they can't believe you. Amen. Okay, well, uh, we have another line to fill in. So let's fill it in, then we'll feel complete about our Bible class. The Constitution of the church. (laughs) The Constitution. I love the Constitution of the United States. For about eight years, I carried around the Constitution of the United States in my, in my backpack. I don't know why. All through college. I just bring it out sometimes. Look at the Constitution. It was kind of a phase that I went through. I don't know why. But I, later on, I didn't really even understand the Constitution. But I, I found out later on 
that the Constitution allows for military, it allows for laws, it allows for conduct, it, it, it allows. The Constitution has allowances. It, in fact, it allows us to have things that help us to operate in the United States. And um, underneath that is, uh, far down the list are medical helps, hospitals. So it matters. And uh, so the kingdom is the constitution. It's, it does, and it matters. It's, and the church is broad, it's big. It's, and underneath that, there's allowances for things that we, we take advantage of. It's, it's good. So it does matter. So when someone says to me, well, it doesn't matter if you go to her church or their church. Yes, it does. It matters that you come here. Yes, it matters. Well, we're all part of the kingdom. Hold on a second. The church is not in conflict with the kingdom. The church body here is underneath the kingdom. <laughs> so it does matter. Because we want people to be stable. Because you can't do anything for the kingdom if the church is not stable. Amen. The constitution of the church, however, has core beliefs. I, I'm not going to, I can't divulge or reveal or uncover all of its beliefs. But it's the biblical belief. But, but I offer this one, it's in relation to the body. The constitution of the church believes in submission over subjectivism. Submission over rights, personal rights. You have the right to be wrong, ladies and gentlemen. But guess what? You also have the right to be right. And that's more dangerous. And it believes in purpose over personality. Amen. Okay. I feel good. I'm feeling a lot better than I did. But not as good as I will. (laughs) Amen. Everybody said in Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen.